Today we're going to stay in this series, but we're going to take a little different direction today. But before we talk about that, I want to just share a little story of something that happened to me in 2003. Um, it was Good Friday, and, uh, uh, and, and I woke up that morning, and my hair was a little all over the place, and uh, I decided I wanted a new hairdo. And so uh, I decided to uh, go to uh, the barber, and I said, take it all off. And so uh, he got his uh, razor, he's got his, uh, his, uh, his, basically his razor out, and he gave me a number two all the way over. First time I had ever done that. The only time I had ever done that. Uh, haven't done it since. Uh, and I walked out there looking like a thug and uh, got a baseball cap, put a baseball cap on my head, and uh, went home. Kept the baseball cap on my head for the rest of, uh, uh, of the day. And we went around the dinner table that night. We were about to go to church and uh, the dinner table. And my mom was like, uh, take your hat off at the table. I'm like, no, I don't want to take my hat off at the table. She was like, this is my house. You take your hat off at the table at my house. And so I took my hat off and you should have seen the look on my mother's face. What have you done to your hair? What I totally forgotten about, she says, we have a family wedding we got to go to next week. And you are going to be in the pictures with that hairstyle. And even when I go home now and I look at the pictures. I laugh so much. Raquel was like, never do that hairstyle. You know, we will never be married again if you do that hairstyle. But anyway, after the Good Friday service, uh, uh, my friends had called me and said, hey, do you want to get something to eat? So I said, sure. There wasn't much open. So we ended up at McDonald's and we went into McDonald's and uh, uh, there was myself and two of my friends, and we had ordered our food, and uh, we sat down. And as we're sitting eating, about 30 young kids come in. And what I mean by young kids, I'm talking probably from the ages of 14 to 18. They were loud. They were rambunctious, And, uh, and it, you knew it wasn't going to end well when 30 teenagers crowd into a place. Well, as we were sitting there, there was one particular young man who was... Uh, uh, not very nice. And uh, there was a lady who was working in the McDonald's at the time, and she was just cleaning some of the tables. She was putting the trash out. She came and brought some of the food to them, and she took some of the food, uh, the, the, the trash away from them. Well, this kid decided that he wanted to pick on this lady. And so he started to say things that weren't very nice, started saying derogatory things towards her about her job, about her position, about how lowly she was, and and, and that uh, only the worst of the people clean tables at McDonald's and take the trash out at McDonald's. Well, he just kept going on and on and on, and I was sitting there getting more and more agitated, and my friends could tell I wasn't very happy about this kid doing this, and all they kept saying was, Alex, don't do anything. Don't do anything. There's three of us. There's 30 of them. Don't do anything. I'm like, I'm not going to let this kid do it. And so with this new hairstyle I had, suddenly I grew some muscles with it as well. And, uh, and I got up. I got so mad with this kid. I got up. I went to his chair. I pulled his chair from under him and he fell on the floor and he got up and I was like, get out. And he was like, what, what? I was like, get out. And I got him and I dragged him outside. I don't know where this, this bravery and the strength came from, but I dragged him out. And I said, you will not come in until you learn to respect people and you need to respect this lady. And, uh, and I looked around at that point. I had these 30 kids just looking at me like they were going to kill me. And then I looked around and my friends had already left. They had like left the McDonald's and they were hiding in their car, you know, left me for, for dead. And so like everybody was in shock. 
I just went and sat back down at my table and I finished my hamburger and then I got up and, and, and left. And, and this story is actually very much like how people are in real life. Even though this kid was just, you know, just a, a bad kid and he was vocal in what he was thinking, most people probably think that anyway. Most people think when they see somebody doing a lowly job, they think, well, they must not be a very you know, intelligent person or they must not be a very talented person. When they see somebody doing something that they wouldn't want to do, they look down on them and uh, they make up their minds about people. And we do that. We make up our minds about people, about the kind of roles they do and the jobs that, that, we, that they do. And so often we think we would never stoop that low and do that kind of job. For those of you who don't know, I'm bivocational and so in the week I, I have another job and uh, it's not very interesting at all. I just sell insurance. And uh, we had a, uh, a, a change around in, in our office, a temporary change around. We got some construction going on and uh, I got moved to the big office just temporarily. And so it's like the corner office and it's got all the windows and it, it's actually really nice um, and, and stuff. Well, this past week, a couple of weeks ago, I had two young ladies who came into my office to get insurance and they sat there and they were like, wow, this is a nice office. And I knew what they were thinking when they said it. They we're like, this guy must be a somebody if he's got an office like this. And I'm really not. And, and then they turned to me and go, so uh, which car's yours in the parking lot? That's what they said. Because we got some people that we work with and they got some nice cars. And I looked and kind of got a little embarrassed. So I said, I said, well, mine's the 06 Hyundai out there, you know. And which you should have seen the look on their face like, oh, is that it? And there were some other nice cars, so I explained whose cars they, they were. And, and I knew exactly what they were doing. They thought, because I had a nice office, they thought, this guy must be rich. Oh, how wrong they were. And they said, this guy must be rich, or this must guy have a lot of money, and he must drive a nice car. Because that is how we judge people, right? We judge people on the things that we think are successful, on the offices we, 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 we have, on the, the careers we have, the jobs we do, uh, the places we go, and the stuff we attain. And, and most people, they want to be successful in life. They want that stuff. Most people want influence in life. There's not many people who, who decide to wake up and says, you know what, I don't want to be successful. I don't want to be influential. I, 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 I don't want to be a great person. I want to be kind of like just a bum. And I just want to, you know, just do nothing in my whole life. That, people don't wake up like that. Most people want to be successful and want to be influential. influential. And we think that comes by the position that we, that we attain and the stuff that we gather and we gain. Now, one of the greatest companies in America is a company, uh, it's a hotel chain, and it's called the Ritz-Carlton. They always win awards all the time for just their hospitality and their service. And uh, if you ever go into a Ritz-Carlton, if you're ever lucky enough, I've never been in one, and they're kind of pricey, but if you've ever been in one, people tell me it's an experience. It's a really great experience. Well, if you go there, you will see that there are bellmen, and there are uh, cleaners, and there are cooks, and there are different people in all different positions. And most people, when they walk in, would think, well, those people, they're kind of got lowly positions. Like, like they're maybe not as talented or as educated. But those people won't tell you that. 
In fact, those people will, will say that they have important roles to play. And this is why. Whenever anybody goes to the Ritz-Carlton to work, they have a, a, an orientation. And in the orientation, this is what they tell them. They tell them that you are not just lowly servants to serve the rich and the wealthy. They say, you are ladies and gentlemen who serve ladies and gentlemen. That's what they're about. Ladies and gentlemen who serve ladies and gentlemen. That they, they believe in their people so much that their people aren't just doing lowly tasks, but they are important and they are ladies and gentlemen who serve ladies and gentlemen. And this kind of DNA, this kind of thought in, in the Ritz-Carlton is actually very biblical. It's very much like Jesus had. And so if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 22. Now in Luke chapter 22, this is the chapter where Jesus and his disciples have gone to have a Passover meal. They've gone to have a meal because the Jewish holiday of Passover has come. Now, this is the meal that Jesus then went out, and he went out and prayed, and then he got arrested. Then after he arrested, he was put to trial, and then after trial, he was put to death. So it's all very close together. And so Jesus went to, 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 with his disciples in what they call the upper room, and they ate. And after eating, then Luke chapter 22, chapter, uh, verses 24 to 27 happened. And this is what it says. It says, Then they began to argue amongst themselves. This is talking about the disciples. Then they began to argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. So we see here that after they had eaten, the disciples started having this disagreement. And the disagreement was this. Who is the greatest amongst us, right? Have you ever done that with your friends? Like, I mean, who is great? I mean, who is the best? Who's the best looking? Who has the best hair? Who's the slimmest? You know, who's the fittest? Who's the wealthiest? And, and, and you may not do that with your friends, but there's a lot of people who kind of do that in, in a roundabout way. But the disciples were like, who is the greatest among us? They're like, who, when we get to heaven, is going to sit closest to Jesus? That's really what they were saying. And, uh, and they started to argue amongst themselves. And I find it amazing that even with Jesus in the room, they still had their issues. Isn't it funny? You know, Jesus is there. You would think that suddenly Jesus in the room, they would all be on their best behavior. But not really. They had their issues. And just because a church is made up of Jesus followers, and we believe that when we gather that Jesus is here in the middle of us, it doesn't mean that the church isn't often messy. It doesn't mean that we don't have issues. It doesn't mean that we are perfect because we are people just like the disciples and wherever people gather, there is issues and there is often mess and there is sometimes problems. But the disciples, they were concerned with who was better amongst themselves. Now, we often think in church that it, it is sinful to have this kind of attitude. 
to, to think, who is the best? Am I the greatest? See, these disciples, they had ambition. They had drive. They wanted to be the greatest. And so often we think it's sinful to think like this. We think it is not humble to want to be the best. But notice here, Jesus never corrects them. Jesus never tells them, you know what, guys, you're totally on the wrong track. You shouldn't be wondering who's the greatest. You should be wondering who's the worst, who, who's the down and out, who's the one who is going to be the nobody, who is going to be the disciple that nobody's going to remember their name, because I guarantee you cannot name all 12 disciples. You'll forget the name of one of them. I guarantee there's always one who you forget the name. Who's going to be that guy? No, Jesus didn't correct them. In fact, Jesus gave them an answer and Jesus gave them a solution and said, if you want to be great, then this is how you're going to do it. Jesus gave them a pathway to greatness. And, And did you know, I believe it is not the desire for greatness that's wrong. If you want to be great, if you want to be a somebody, if you want to be the best, that is not wrong to want to be like that. But it is often the desire to become great so that others will look up at us and worship us. That's when it's wrong. When our desire to become great, to elevate ourselves, that is wrong. When our desire is to become great so Jesus is elevated, that is a wonderful thing to do. Did you know humility isn't lost in the desire to become great? But it's often lost in how we try to become great. So Jesus gave a solution. And Jesus said, if you want to be great, then this is what you've got to do. And he gave two, two, uh, two, two solutions how to become great. The first is this. He gave a position. It, Jesus didn't say, if you want to be great, you've got to be the CEO of all things in your life. You've got to be the best. You've got to be the top dog. You've got to be the one that everybody is trying to attain to be. Jesus didn't say that. He said, if you want to be great, then you must take the lowest rank. Now he's turning it on his head. In this world, we think if you want to be great, then you've got to be the top guy. But Jesus is saying, let's turn this over. If you want to be great, you've got to take the lowest rank. Philippians 2 kind of confirms this. It says this. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Notice he says that, thinking of others as better than yourself. There is no role in the kingdom of God that is beneath you. There is no role in the kingdom of God that is too low for you. There is nobody in the kingdom of God who who is worse than you. See, what we are told in the kingdom of God is that we are thinking of others as better than ourselves. And that is the role we need to take. That is the position, the lowly rank where others are always elevated above us. And especially Jesus is elevated to the highest level. But then after we take the lowest rank, now there is a posture that we need to take. And Jesus said this. He said that then the leader should be like a servant. So our position is the lowest rank, and now our posture in life is a servant posture, like we are serving others. Now, the book of John, the Gospel of John, it it gives an account of this same uh, night that Jesus had dinner with his friends, this Passover meal. But it gives a little different account of how it starts. Because what it tells us is that 
that as the disciples came into the room, nobody washed anybody's feet. See, in Jewish culture back then in, in, in Judea, the roads weren't like they are today. The roads were dirt and there was a lot of mud everywhere and, and we didn't have, they didn't have shoes like we have. They have sandals and some even went barefoot. And so when they walked into a house, they brought a bunch of mud into them. The, those of you who got kids, you know what mud or you've got a dog and you know what muds are like being coming into the house. Well, they brought a lot of mud. So what they would have, they would have a servant who would come and wash their feet so that then they could go in the house and not make a mess in the house. Well, this meal starts and... Jesus decides to go over, get a bowl of water, got a towel, tied it round his waist, and then Jesus knelt down, and then he went to each of the disciples, and he took their sandals off, and he started washing their feet. To which the disciples were horrified, because... Jesus was Lord. Jesus was the teacher. He wasn't somebody who should be washing their feet. They're like, Jesus, you shouldn't be washing my feet. But Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And then Peter chimes in, well, wash the whole of me. I mean, like, there's always one guy goes over the top, right? And that was Peter. And, but Jesus starts washing their feet. And then this is what he says in John chapter 13, starting at verse 14. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now you know these things. And he says this, God will bless you for doing them. So Jesus turns this whole idea of rank and serving on its head. And Jesus says, as I have done, you also should do as well. Now, I've been in church services before where people have taken this a little too literally. And they, you know, there's somebody who's come up on the stage and they've gone and they've got water and they've gone to people and they've taken shoes uh, off people and socks off people and they've started washing their feet. And I'll be honest with you. I ain't going to do that to you today. I like my feet. I don't like your feet. I like you, but I just don't like your feet. You know, some of you got sweaty, grimy, nasty feet. Some of you got hairy feet. Some of you got hobbit feet. Some of you got pixie feet. I just don't like your feet. And so I'm not going to wash your feet. And there's lots of people, they take this literally. But the reality is, is Jesus isn't telling us that we have to wash each other's feet. Praise the Lord, right? He's not telling us that. This is what he's telling us. He's saying that for that culture of that day, washing feet was a lowly task. Nobody does that anymore unless you like, you know, you go and get a pedicure and that, I don't know how those guys and girls do it. But, but in this day and age, there's different ways that we serve one another. There's different things that we do for one another that would be seen as a lowly task. And that is what Jesus is saying. As I have done, so you do also. Now, in the business world, we're told this. If you want to be great, you need to give up the lowly tasks and you need to do what you can just do and then you need to hire other people to do what what anybody else can do. That is how you become productive and great. And that's what the business world will tell you. And that is true. That is true for this world. But we don't belong to this world. We belong to the kingdom of God. 
And in the kingdom of God, it is different. In the kingdom of God, it's all topsy-turvy and it's different. And to become great, you need to do the least. You need to serve. He is saying this, seek out ways to serve one another. Do the tasks for others that no one else wants to do. If you want to become important in the kingdom of heaven, it is all about serving. And I don't know about you today, but I want to become great. I don't want to become just an average nobody. I want to be great. I want to, when I get to heaven, I want the doors to open and everyone will like cheer like, whoa, Alex has arrived. He's the great one. I want people to say that. And I don't think that's wrong for people saying that. But what it takes, it takes to become a servant. See, our heart at Generation Church is this is that you will tap into your greatness. In week one of this series, we said this, you are not an average Christian. That you have been sent by the king, for you are an ambassador of the king. And I believe that fully today. I believe you are not an average Christian. One of our values here at Generation Church is this, is that we don't lead volunteers. We empower and equip history makers. And, and, and here, if you serve here at Generation Church in any capacity at all, I want to tell you today, you are not a volunteer. We don't believe in volunteers because volunteers just come. They help out for a little bit, then they go home. They do their good deed. You are more than a volunteer. You are someone who, who is impacting history for families and for lives. That, that when you serve the kids or when you, you serve in hospitality or you serve in the band or you, 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 you serve in small groups or you serve in outreach and all these different ways that you serve, when you serve, you are, you are changing lives and helping lives to be changed. See, when we get to heaven, I don't think it's going to be the flashy preacher who had the jet and had a gazillion people do all the tasks for him and even hired someone to hold his Bible for him. I don't think that guy's going to be the guy who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I don't think that guy's going to be the one who's sitting closest to Jesus when we get to heaven. Do you know what I think? I think the people sitting closest to Jesus is going to be that little old lady who every single week came to church 30 minutes before to pray for people in the church. I believe the one who's going to be closest to Jesus is the guy who decided to lead a, a middle school, small group or Sunday school class And he did it faithfully for 30 years, even though every week those kids just messed up every single week and caused craziness. I think the one closest to Jesus is going to be that guy who went round and picked up all the old ladies in the church who couldn't drive and then picked them up, brought them to church, and then after church took them home and he did that faithfully for years. I know people who have done that in their lives, in their church, and I believe when we get to heaven, you will look up and you will realize they are the greatest because they learned how to become a servant and to serve. Did you know that Jesus sees greatness within you? You are not average. For you have something to bring. You have something to give. And what is inside of you is a game changer. God has uniquely designed you to be great. I'll say that again. God has uniquely designed you to be great. And that's why I believe in serving. That's why here at Generation Church, we're not ashamed or too timid to ask you to take out the trash or to change a dirty, stinky, nasty diaper. 
That's why we're not ashamed to ask you to greet or to ask you to make some coffee or to serve in, in an outreach. Why? Because we believe that when you are serving, God is making you great. When you are serving, God is blessing you. When you serve, God makes you great. When you serve others, God blesses you. I'm one of those who, I like watches, but I don't like to spend a lot of money on watches. So what it means is I've accumulated a lot of watches that have no value at all. They're like the cheap ones that you get at the store. Well, what happens when you get these kind of watches is the batteries die really quick. And so I've discovered sometimes it's cheaper to buy a new watch than actually go to the mall and go and get someone to replace the battery for you because it costs like 15 bucks. It's like extortion just to change your battery in a watch. So I decided a couple of weeks ago, I am, I'm not going to take my, my watch because I need like four watches, their batteries replaced. I'm like, I'm just going to buy my, myself my own watch like battery replacement kit you can actually get them and I'm going to buy myself one of those and buy myself a bunch of batteries and I think I'm going to save some money and so it cost about 15 bucks altogether so I was ahead of the game so it took me a while to kind of figure it out because the cheaper watches they're pretty hard to open I think they do that so you just go and buy another watch and so I opened it up, and then I didn't realize that all these different watches, they all have different battery sizes, so I had to buy even more batteries. So now I've got a ton of these little disc batteries. But I, I changed the batteries in my watch, and so it was great because all my watches started working, and I could wear watches again. And the next morning, I looked at the one watch I had, and I was like, what's going on with this watch? And I should have known it was a watch that I got when we went on a missions trip to Nicaragua. And nothing against Nicaragua, but it was kind of a gift someone gave to me. And it looked a little flashy at the time. I'm like, I'm sure this is a fake watch. And uh, it looks like it really was a fake watch. But uh, so I, I, I changed the battery and it was working. The next morning when I looked at it, the hand, like the second hand, it was going forward one, back two. Kept going forward one, back two. I'm like, what is going on? So I shook it, and then it went forward, and then suddenly it stopped and went back again. It went forward and back. So I was like, well, maybe it's like the battery. So I went in, I changed the battery, and I shook it again because if you shake things, it kind of works. And so, so I put it back in. It started working again, and then it was finally going forward one and back two, and it was stuck. And I'm like, what is going on with this cheap old watch? And so I opened it back up again just to see what was going on. And the strap was fine, the hands were fine, the face was fine. But as I looked inside, I saw one of the little cogs in the clockwork, and it was damaged, and it was broken. And it wasn't working right. And this tiny little piece was affecting the whole watch. So now the watch, from a distance it looked good, but up close it was a useless watch, because it couldn't tell the time. All because of this tiny little cog. And this watch is an example of the greatness fulfilled in our lives. See, you can have the best strap in the world. You can have the strongest hands. You can have the most powerful battery. It could be like Duracell on steroids, and it's pumping power into that watch. You can have the prettiest face, but if one of the gears stops working, that great watch has now become a useless watch. And I believe... It takes the humble to understand that greatness is never achieved alone. It takes an army to make a king great. And it takes an army of servants in the church to make a church great. 
If you want the name of Jesus to be famous in our community, and I really want the name of Jesus to be famous in our community, it doesn't just take you being a stud of a servant. It doesn't mean that, that just you are the one who is running around doing everything. What it does, it takes a church full of servants for we need each other. Each of you is a cog or a gear in the clockwork mechanism of the kingdom of God and here at Generation Church. And we need each other to fulfill that greatness that is within you. See, God has made you great, but you can't become great by yourself. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 to 11 tells us this. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. God has gifted you with different talents and abilities. He hasn't just given you that so you can sit at home and like, wow, look how talented I am. But God has given you that so you can serve one another. Then he continues and he says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. You are good at what you are good at. You are talented in the ways you are talented because God has created you to serve others in those areas. And so those skills, they should be used to serve God. And when you use those skills to serve God, then God elevates you and I believe God blesses you. Back to John 13, John, Jesus says, if you do these things, God will bless you. I ask you today, where is your blessing found? Where is your blessing found? Three years ago, well, this week, I should say, this week, I, I started thinking about how God has blessed me. And over the last three years, I feel God has just really given huge blessings to my family and myself. Even this week, I got a, a blessing that I couldn't even imagine that, that would come. It was a total God thing. And God has really just, just kind of, before it was like you'd get something here and you'd get blessed here and then you'd have different things here. But I feel like the last three years, God has just turned the tap on just different things he's blessed me with. And I couldn't put my finger on it. So this week I started thinking, I was like, okay, God, you've really done some amazing things in my last life over the last three years. What is it? And as I started thinking, I started realizing I changed my life a little three years ago. Before that, I would, uh, I, I, I would get up early on one morning and I would do my sermon. I would, like what I call, bang my sermon out. And then I would come and give it on a, on a Sunday morning. But about three years ago, I really decided that I needed to serve you as a church better. So I needed to spend more time really studying what God was wanting to bring and what God was wanting to say and really help develop that so it could be given in the best possible way that I could give and so that it could encourage and bless you. I really felt God speak to me. You need to serve them a little bit more. And so this is what I did. I started changing the way I started preparing my sermons. 
And instead of just getting up early one morning and doing it and then coming and preaching it on a Sunday, I started going through this process of really thinking through it on Sunday and, and really thinking about it a lot on a Monday night and then getting up early on a Tuesday morning and writing out notes and then getting up really early on a Wednesday and typing it all out. And then on a Thursday, getting up early again and and uh, and just editing it and then taking Fridays the day off and then on, on Saturday, then just going back over it before I come in on Sunday. And what I mean by getting up early, uh, my, my alarm goes off at 4.30 in the morning on those days. And let me tell you, I am not a morning person. I hate mornings. Mornings should not even start until like seven o'clock at least. But yet this is what I found. I started making those sacrifices. And I started with an act of a servant. I started finding that God blessed me more. And it brought me back to John 13, where Jesus said, if you do this for others, God will bless you. So where is your blessing found? I found mine at a 4.30 wake-up call. But where's yours found? Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8 tells us this. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. It is Uh, If it is given, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. There are so many different ways that you can serve. And I ask you today, what cog on the clockwork mechanism are you? How are you going to make this whole thing work together? How are you, through what God does in you and the greatness that is within you, how are you going to help make the clockwork of the kingdom of heaven come work well? As Jesus knelt at the disciples' feet and washed them, he was showing the world that part of being the greatest, because Jesus is the greatest is knowing the reasons why we serve. Jesus had a role to do and nobody else could do it. His role was to serve, but his service required more than time. It required more than energy. It required more than money. It required his life. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And now it would be easy for me to get out our volunteer service forms and cards and give one to each of you. And after a sermon like that, guilt you into serving in the church. But that's not my heart today. My heart isn't to fill roles in the church. Yeah, there's roles to be filled, but that's not my heart. My heart is to point you to Jesus. Because it's only service that's done out of a heart for Jesus that makes you great. And that God blesses. And then God raises and elevates you. 
And so today what I want you to do as we close this service, I want us to point to Jesus. The greatest servant of all. He's the servant king. And that night that Jesus said all this stuff and washed the disciples' feet and, 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 and said, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. That same night, Jesus, he, he took the bread after they finished eating and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which was broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And Jesus was referring to how his body was going to be beaten and he was going to be whipped and he was going to be bruised on the way to his death. See, because Jesus' body was broken as a result, our bodies are mended and healed. As they try to crush Jesus' spirit, our spirit comes to life. And then after he took the bread, then Jesus took the cup of wine and He lifted up the cup and said, this is a new covenant. A covenant marked with my blood. He says, drink this in remembrance of me. And as Jesus died and the blood started streaming down his body, his blood was the sacrifice that we needed to cleanse us from our sins. And his blood came and washed them white as snow. And now the new covenant isn't that we have to follow a list of do's and don'ts to be right with God. But now because of the blood of Jesus and because Jesus gave his life as a servant for us and he died a terrible death because of that blood, now we have right relationship with God. And so because Jesus decided to serve you, now you have life. And so this morning, we're going to remember the greatest servant of all, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to pray.